been hunting for even in a short space. Yeah, I can imagine. Like I said, I haven't done that stuff in, man, I've been out of school now for almost 10 years. Yeah, I've been out a lot longer than that. (laughs) (laughs) Hello? How are you, John? Hey, John. Hey. This is Shane. That's Rich. Hey, Shane and Rich. Give me one moment. I'm trying to sort out my audio. No worries. Okay. How how do I sound? Pretty tanny and distant. Oh, really? Let me make sure that my... I have a fancy microphone. Let me make sure that it is the one that they're using. No, that sounds a little bit better just a second ago. Uh, Hold on one second. Try this. How's that? That's perfect. Excellent to me. Yeah, I, I finally... I do so many, um, you know, Zoom calls and uh, for work. I finally uh, invested in um, a nice microphone. Uh, yeah, we need to do that too. We do this podcast yeah. every week, and we're both sitting here with headphone mics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I say a nice, a nice microphone. It's it was only seventy bucks, like on Amazon or something, but. Um, you know, it's it's like a podcaster's mic. Right, right. It's an upgrade. Yeah. So we've already got the recording going, and I already introduced you pre-show. Oh, uh, great. So we can pretty much just uh, jump off from the get-go. Um, let's see. Sorry, I got distracted by something here. Let me close this tab so people quit talking to me. Um <laughs> So usually what we do is we start this out for people who don't know who you are or aren't familiar with your work with just having you uh, give us a little introduction, if you would, just a little little bit of background. Okay. Um, My name is John Horner Jacobs. I am a novelist, and uh, I'm probably best known for the novel Southern Gods, which was my first book. came out in 2011 and was nominated for the, for the Brahms Stoker Award. Uh, did not win. Um, after that, I wrote a book called This Dark Earth. It came out from Simon & Schuster. And then I wrote a young adult series called The Incarcerado Series that comprised of three books. And then I wrote sort of a, a weird fantasy series uh, called The Incorruptibles um, that came out from Orbit a glance or, or Hachette in, in the UK. And then, uh, you know, I wrote, um, a couple of years ago, I started writing like novellas and, uh, I wrote a couple of novellas that became a lesson seething hell, which was nominated for the Shirley Jackson and, um, the world fantasy award, uh, just recently. And, uh, I had my first collection of short stories come out. Um, probably my only collection of short stories that come out uh, last month, and um, I'm, you know, uh, currently writing another novel and and working on getting it out. Um, I've had I've been you know I've, my short fictions appeared in um, you know mostly small magazines, but I did have a story in Playboy, which is um, 
puts me alongside authors like Ray Bradbury and Vladimir Nabokov and uh, Margaret Atwood and I don't know. Uh, that was sort of a, a crowning achievement. People didn't like. I don't think my dad took me uh, re, uh, like as a real author until I was like, "Hey, Dad, I got a story in Playboy." <laughs> so he's oh. like, "Oh, I'll have to buy that." <laughs> my dad would be the same way he's never read a fucking thing i've written but if i said it was in playboy he'd be all over it yeah. uh, the notable thing about my playboy story was it was um the first episode with uh, they went on a i guess a one or two year stint where they didn't they, they had you know like lingerie boudoir pictures but they didn't have any nudity and the, my story was in the first um playboy uh, with nudity put back in. Um, so there were literally, uh, there was nudity on the page before my story and the page after it. <laughs> so I'm guessing yeah. you got a lot of, a lot of, uh, comments on your story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, actually, uh, but then in a way though, I mean, that's kind of a mini historic moment for playboy. So you were, you were a part of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was funny. I think the best part of it was me getting to say, uh, you know, like, like on face. I don't use Facebook a lot just because I just don't like it. But yeah. it was, um, it was nice to get it, to be able to say um, that out of all the people I went to high school with, I, who would imagine that I would be the, the the one person with their photo in Playboy magazine? Um, you know, it, yeah. Just <laughs> no shit. Huh? <laughs> yeah. You know that's kind of that's kind of cool too because you know I'm a little bit younger and I like I I I knew that you know some of those authors you mentioned like some of the greats and stuff had been in Playboy but I think that's something that like is overlooked by a lot of people and like maybe even casual readers because like I didn't know that at first that you know they actually had a pretty the magazine itself and they had like a whole literary line so they had kind of like you know a rich literary history which not many people would you know associate with them well i mean yeah they did i mean i think it was a legitimacy thing they had to sort of do that but for the, for a very long time the two premier um fiction like short like fiction magazine magazines that published fiction were playboy and the new yorker um, uh, and they, I mean, you know, uh, I will say this, the, the Playboy still pays really well for it, uh, for short fiction. It was more than I've ever been paid per word for anything than anything I've ever done. Which is, yeah, that's something that I've, that I've noticed that's been forever that they've been one of the top pairs when it comes to short fiction. I mean, I. I might, you know, spill about like details, but I, I was having uh, like drinks with a author, and he was like, "What did you get paid for that?" And I told him, he's like, "You got paid more than I got for my the advance for my first book." <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "I mean, it's Playboy, you know. Yeah. I lucked out, you know. I, I, I lucked out, you know." But um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I mean, that's sort of a digression of my um, uh, my sort of history um it's just real quick in an, in a nutshell yeah so uh just give give three boys a playboy boy to talk about and suddenly everything else goes out the fucking window <laughs> yeah 
I mean, if, I will say this: it, if it wasn't for the money, I would not have published with them. Oh yeah. Um, but it was something that my agent um, arranged. I just, I mean, it's not. Look, I, you know, I. Uh, it's not that I dis, disapprove, disapprove of it so much. It just is like, you know, I think it's just an antiquated sort of uh, objectification of women and. Um, you know, it just it doesn't need to be there. But, however, th- that sort of reservation quickly went out the window when I saw what they were paying for stories. So, I mean, it was, um, you know, it happened like my, my agent was like, uh, hey, do you have anything you could that we could uh, submit to Playboy? And I was like, well, no, but give me a week and I'll write something. And uh, and then they accepted it. It was like out of the blue. Anyway, uh hmm. That's pretty cool, though. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, not really a kid, but more so than I am now by a long shot. Um, <laughs> Stephen King used to, people thought of that more as a prestige pub- publication because King would talk about getting published there and other big guys like him, you know. So if you got your yeah. name published in it, you you were sharing a rag that Stephen King also got published in. Yeah, but I mean, like he, like for it was a step up. Like when he started, he was publishing in like, like I can't remember the exact names, but he was public, getting published in sort of like almost smutty mags that were like Cavalier or, or stuff like that. I can't remember yep. the exact names. Uh, and so Playboy, with their sort of, you know, um, at the time, whether it was this sort of like boobs. Um, you know, women in, in sort of lingerie, photo, uh, not Photoshop, but airbrushed, you know, yeah. with their, you know, it, it was it was a little bit like it, it was um, it had some legitimacy. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So um, moving on, um, let's talk about your work some. I'd like okay. to get into and um, a lush and seething hell. You've got two novellas in there. Um, I could get it wrong, but I don't think I will. The Sea Dreams it Is the Sky, right, is one. That's, that's correct. And My Heart Struck Sorrow. That's right, yeah. Okay, excellent. Cool. I mean, I mean technically, one is a novella and the other one is a, a short novel. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but uh, yeah. And um, both fascinating. Both deal with... Uh, in their way, similar themes, but totally different scenarios. Um, but I wanted to talk about this little thread of, uh, of, well, God damn it. I lost my train of thought. Uh, redemption, I guess it would be both. It's like you have two key characters in those stories, um, that are both, uh, kind of broken in their own ways and both kind of searching for, one thing to make them feel whole or complete or you know what i mean sure yeah is that an intentional approach for you i mean it seems like it would have to be but yeah i think so i mean um uh i mean it it wasn't something that that was um you know when you when you construct um a story Sometimes you do things overtly and say like 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 calculatingly say here's how I'm going to construct the story this is the character this is the thing this you know th- this is the plot this is the antagonist these are the things that are going to happen 
and that you know and it, and it happens over a period of time and it's very uh you know it's very uh concrete thought and then sometimes uh, you know under the surface of all that there are some inductive there's some inductive reasoning it's not maybe not even conscious that happens um and the sort of uh, the, the the broken characters that had uh, a heavy weight of guilt probably occurred in a more um, you know under the surface manner when I was constructing the stories. Uh, and it's funny because it's not like I, I I am walking around carrying some great guilt, but I, both of them dealt with um, some pretty deep issues of social ills and the responsibility of uh, white males, uh, uh, you know, namely for, for that. So maybe there was a little bit of guilt going on in there. Um, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's something I think about, but I don't think about too hard, <laughs> which, right. yeah. But it, yeah. And they also both in that, in that, uh, vein, not necessarily just for redemption, but they're both searching for something that is key and extremely important to them. Um, which, uh, is, it's fascinating with the way it's dealt with in the two, because people would think, God, the way this guy's talking, the dude just wrote a novella and a novel about the same fucking thing. But, uh, that's not it at all. Uh, if I were to sit here and start praising those two books, I would be doing so effusively for the rest of the episode. So, um, very, very different things, but both, uh, well, thank you. Uh, you know, I mean, with with those books, uh, you know, I've said this in, in other ways um, elsewhere, but, you know, when you start writing a book, you have this sort of idealized notion of what the book's going to be like. Uh, you know, you, you know, it's sort of like the best of all possible worlds. If I can really sort of stick this, this is how it's going to be. And then when you come out the ass end of it, uh, of writing it and getting through the whole process, you know, there's a moment where you evaluate how far away you you are from that ass end of um <laughs> i mean how far away at, at the exit sign you are away from the uh you know the ideal that you had about what it would the ending would be you know the final <laughs> product and um in my early books you know often it was there's a really big distance like but in these uh, there was a distance, but it was the closest I'd ever been b before, and it sort of uh, reaffirmed my ability that I can write. You, you know, like I just—I've uh, talked about this el elsewhere too. The people, most people online, don't want to hear any of the bad things about uh, publishing. They just want to hear all the good stuff. But I had just come off of a, uh, you know, a pretty big book deal that had failed. Like I, my, my series was well received, but it just didn't connect with the audience, and um, uh, or uh, it connected with a small audience. And uh, it, I, it had sent me into a depression. And you know, like when you, when these things happen, um, you know, a lot of times authors, writers, sort of take it on themselves. Like you know. I don't know what I'm doing, obviously, like, even though a lot of it is luck, <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot of it is just like writing the, you know, something that hits the, the, the hits like the um, public sort of, uh, you know, um, 
collective unconscious right at the right time and takes off, you know, like, you know, it's just uh, a lot of it's luck. Uh, but at the time I wasn't able to, to compartmentalize those ideas. And I sort of really, really sort of like it affected me, um, like made me question if I could write, like if I was a, a, a good storyteller, if I was a good writer, if I was a good novelist. And, um, when I finished these, even though they haven't you know, broken out in the sense that they haven't connected with a larger audience, it, it was a nice, um, reminder that, that like, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm getting better at this. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I work on my craft, and I, I, you know, with every everything I do, I get a little bit better at what I, what I'm doing. I, you know, I, again, um, there's always a distance between the, you know, generative idea and and the sort of you know idealized thought, but and and then what actually comes out at the end. But I got closer than I'd ever been before on these two books. So I'm I'm still very very proud of. Uh, election seething hell i'm i'm uh, right now it's like i feel like it's the best thing i've ever written i yeah having read a considerable amount of your body of work i i would agree with you um but that's the thing i say all the time on this podcast our listeners are sick of this broken record but that's what that's what good authors do is get better <clears throat> You know, just like you talking about what you what the ideal was at the beginning of the story compared to what it is at the end of the story is kind of similar to what the author was seven years ago compared to what the author is right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you are and I'll let you talk eventually, Rich, but <laughs> no, um, it's all good. you are probably the one and only author I can name whose work I came to through music or rather an interest in yes. music rather than my love of um, fiction and horror because I mean because I'm a blues musician myself and a guitarist and the first thing I ever read was Southern Gods Very cool. um, and you have but then you have uh, you're, uh, you've got a thread of music running through a lot of your stories and it always fascinates me, um, and probably no more, no more so than in my heart struck sorrow, where you have Cromwell, and the, the whole thing is, the whole focus of the whole thing really is music. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I am a musician. I, you know, I. Um, it's funny when Southern Gods came out. Uh, I was in a band at the time. And literally, I had the the art copies of, of it um, with me when I was at um, we were opening up for Muddy Waters uh, on the King Biscuit Blues Festival nice. main stage. I mean, like I I say we were opening up. We were like three or four bands in front of them, but still, I you know, <laughs> you know, good enough, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, and, and that was sort of like, it was weird cause my life sort of trained, like, you know, that band went for an, probably another year. Um, but my life sort of transitioned away from music into writing. Um, you know, I think music is fascinating. Uh, it's a great sort of unifier, like in, uh, Alush and Seething Hell, one of the few things I really, uh, like a line that I really had to make sure I got in there was, uh, a line from Alan Lomax. 
that uh, like it said, and this is sort of one of the themes of the story, but music has the ability to transform the performer and the listener all at once. And um, yeah. And I, you know, a lot of my, um, I'm also fascinated with trying to write about music because music is a thing that sort of explains itself and doesn't require. um, I mean, you can describe it, but you know, you can just listen to it and it explains itself, right? Um, yeah. Uh, so describing music is a weird thing, you know. It's like it's like trying to describe like a painting or something, you know. Uh, you know, something that describes itself. You have trying to describe it is always a, a sort of interesting thing. So you have to evoke in words the sort of similar sensations and imagery that you would listening to music, which is always. No, sort of. I, I don't know. I just find that sort of a fascinating thing about uh, you know re, a, the a written language and reading it. Um, so I don't know. That might be why I come back to it. But also, I'm just I am I am always I am fascinated and interested in the history of music and the history of American music. So it you know it comes out. But I think right now I think I'm probably gonna you know take a little. Um, <laughs> take a little sabbatical from writing about music for, for the moment, just cause I don't want to just be that guy. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm glad that you are at least some of the time that guy, because I, I really dig the way that thread works with your mute, with your music, with your words, rather either way, the way your words work with your music are good too. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Yeah. And that's a uh, that's pretty interesting that you said that because um, I used to I used to review music albums a couple years ago and you're right like I, I I'm you know it sounds kind of stupid to me saying it out loud now because obviously I'm not the only person but even though I did that I thought I was like the only person who thought that was kind of like interesting and a little bit absurd like you said because it's like when people listen to it you know it explains itself like you said and then you're trying to capture it in like a whole nother sensation yeah it's like yeah i'm trying to because writing is and it's i mean in essence an art form i mean um and so it's it's you are trying to sort of convey the feeling of this other art through your art form uh, you know, uh, it's anyway, it's, it's just, it's interesting to me. Um, uh, you know, languages, languages, uh, you know, the, the fact that humans speak and use sounds to indicate, th- you know, thoughts and it's sort of a cipher system, you know, the, the, the uh, smarter people than me have spent a lot of time thinking about it. Um, uh, it is fascinating. Yeah. And kind of, kind of going off that, I think I asked, uh, Josh Mallerman about this and maybe one other um, author who also has you know a musician background but do you find that you know like with your mu- like your musician background do you find yourself when you write I don't know if you write to music or if you write in quiet but do you find yourself kind of taking some of that concepts of, you know, maybe like the groove of the music and trying to kind of implement that same kind of like feeling with your words? No, I mean, I, I occasionally write to, um, well, I, more and more, I do not listen to any sort of music with words 
or or you know any type of music that demands your attention, right? Um, and, and words tend to do that. So if I'm writing and someone is singing um, or rapping or whatever, it is it is like um, uh, cross currents. You know, I can't I can't focus on it. Sometimes I will write with some music, uh, I, and I don't know that that maybe fits the sort of tone of the book. I might say mood because uh, it. I mean, it's just sort of like uh, a lot of times I'll listen to, to to just like scores of movies, and then eventually I just turn it off and write silently, just because you know, whatever's going, you know, whatever's caroming around the the insides of my skull is probably enough for it. And I've also found that uh, ever since I started writing, I like when I'm in my car, I've I've stopped listening to a lot of music and um, just sort of sit there in silence just to have some time of silence and, um, and sort of just brood about what I'm working on. You know, it's, it's funny. Um, Back when I was driving to work, that was how I did it. I never, I never really listened to music on the way to work or back. Um, not that I have a long commute, but uh, so no, I don't do that. I, another thing about music that a lot of people don't understand about me is like a lot of horror writers uh, are really into metal, <laughs> and because because of the sort of uh, horror aesthetic of metal, you know. Right. Um, and I am just not at all into metal. Of I mean, I, there's I can list a couple bands I can listen to, uh, but other than that, I'm just I'm not into it at all. Um, uh, yeah. And that's yeah. I mean, you know, that's not everybody's cup of tea. We all have our different, you know. Different... Yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, it's like I, I understand why people like it. I, it's just not my, my jam. Um, there is a, uh, and I understand the musicianship of it, and I understand, you know, I understand it's it's, it's real music, you know. Um, I, you know, it's not like I, I think, it's just, I don't know, I, I, I don't groove on it, I guess, and the only other music I don't really like is uh, opera. <laughs> yeah. I, just, yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that. I, uh, you know, um, uh, like I, I like melodic jazz, but like 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 um you know experimental jazz is like no turn that off that shit that shit is like you know I'd rather just throw a bunch of fucking silverware up in there and <laughs> listen to it clatter yeah. or whatever or you know just like bang on tin you know pots or something I don't know that stuff I just can't I can't nah. I can't take it. I can't either. I'm kind of, I guess I'm just too fucking old or something, but I'm kind of, you know, if it doesn't, I'm into Coltrane and Miles Davis and guys like that. That Yeah, yeah definitely. Have a melody. But, yeah. you know, each their own once again, but it uh, doesn't work for me. Um, and metal, I, I can't play metal worth of shit and won't even try, but I listen to it some. Um, I always, my thing is, is I always circle back around to blues. I always have. Yeah, me too. I mean, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a roots music. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm from where, I mean, I'm from Arkansas, so I'm from the cradle of the blues. Um, 
So it's hard to escape down here. Oh, I'm sure. And that would be a wonderful thing, really. Um, there was something Rich said that triggered a thought for me, though. Oh, where he was talking about the, the kind of mood of the music fitting the story, which we already got the answer to that, but it did kind of bring to mind a thought I had while I was reading My Heart Struck Sorrow, which was, in a way, and probably not a lot of people will even be familiar with this song, but your pacing felt like it would have worked to uh, Stagger Lee playing in the background a lot of the time. Well, yeah, I mean, which version, though? I mean, uh, like, uh, you, you know, it's funny with, with, with me going on and on about Stagger Lee, um, everyone always brings up Nick Cave's version, and uh, out of all the ver- out of all the versions of Stagger Lee, that is my least favorite because it doesn't come from the American tradition. It's just something he he made up, uh, and it's it's you know Nick Cave, whom I love. I I love Nick Cave, um, uh, but I just don't like that song because it's like it's almost like a. Um, it, it, you know, it's almost like Michael Mann taking a, 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 a Michael Mann, the filmmaker, uh, the, you know, the action movie filmmaker, him taking a uh, murder ballad and sort of writing, doing his interpretation of it, which is like over the top, 100, you know, 200 percent of everything, more explosions, you know, and with Nick Cave's version of Stagger Lee, with all the like buggery and rape and stuff. Not the same. Yeah, it's just it, it's like. I mean, even in folk music, you know, the American, uh, you know, the American experiences, I mean, it's subtle. Uh, I mean, like the way they express their discontent, like the way the black, uh, the black populace of the South expressed their discontent of the South was very, very uh, in there. It was more subtle than that. And um, uh, I I think it deserves some. I mean, it deserves examination, and, and that was yeah. the whole idea of um, Alan Lomax sort of making the recordings was like this is a real sociological thing that that deserves study, uh, and um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so uh, but it, you know, if we're going to talk more about Stagger Lee, I can tell you my favorite version, which is probably the more popular version, uh, is um, is Lloyd Price's uh, ah, version yeah, it of Stagger Lee. Um, it's it's, pro- it's probably the most it's the most joyous one, and I like that. I like that one a lot. I uh, probably my favorite would be uh, Mississippi John Hurt's version of it. Yeah, that but you I, know it, that one's a real interesting one because like so that one's more spoken. Well, some of his recordings are more spoken word version right, of it. Right. And and that one has more in common with the sort of Caucasian traditions of it. In the sense that um, uh, it's it, it is more moralistic in nature uh, and and less sort of winking at um, uh, the listener, but it's still fucking fantastic. I mean, it, it's it's similar to like um, uh, you know some of the recordings of the ones in West Virginia. Uh, anyway, it's 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 fucking uh, it is a great one, yeah. And then you get, you know, the, the interesting thing is, like, the way folk music worked is, like, you get his version that then, you know, white artists heard, and then 
sort of they sort of glommed onto it like the folk tradition, like Dave von Van, von Ronk and Pete Seeger and guys like that, like heard that version and sort of like liked it because it was more folky, right? Yeah. And then the one, and then you know, a whole other stripe of white musicians glommed onto. Um, Lloyd Price's, which was, you know, go, stagger, go, go, you know, like, like it was more rhythm and blues with a lot more, I mean, a little bit more soul. I like it because it has a little bit more soul to it. Uh, yeah, quite I mean, a bit. Um, anyway, it, it's, you know, it is a fascinating, fascinating subject, uh, that one song. And, you know, and the reason I really liked it was because of the sort of, you know, the, uh, I, you know the gener the generation of the idea of that book was I was reading uh, because I am interested in music. I was reading Alan Lomax's sort of um, one of I think his autobiography, and he talked about when Lead Belly sort of uh, took him. He went, they were in Memphis, and, and Lead Belly took him over to uh, West Memphis and Ar in Arkansas to to a tonk or a juke joint over there and um, played him staggerly and then played him uh, a verse of like the, the things that happened after uh, Staggerly died when he went to hell. But then he stopped and Alan was like, I want more of that. And he goes, well, why don't we come over to this? Let's go over here into this other place I know, and I'll play you some more. And so he led him from place to place playing a, a verse after verse of, of these sort of infernal verses of Staggerly. And that was sort of the, ge the generation of the idea of this book. Um, uh, and I, I just, I just love that because, um, you know, it's got the devil, which is one of my things <laughs> and <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's got music, which is one of my things anyway. And, you know, I, you know, I've spent so much time in West Memphis and Memphis and Eastern Arkansas. It's like, I could see it in my mind's eye. Um, anyway, uh, yeah. Well, since we're on the subject of different art forms, let's talk about one that you've been endeavoring in recently that's actually yeah. uh, pretty fucking impressive, in my opinion. Um, and that's uh, the woodcut you've been doing. Ah, well, okay. Uh, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, I guess... Uh, I You know, I don't really know. What's, what's the impetus? Um, are they being used for, like, book plates? Are they being... You know, covers or illustrations or, you know, I'm, I'm nosy, John. Gossip with me. <laughs> no, it's fine. I'm, I'm happy to tell you about them um, because I've already I've talked about it. I just had an interview in Locust and I talked about it. Some of them are going to be uh, Locust, not Locust. Um, so, I mean, it probably wouldn't have come about if I if if it hadn't been for the pandemic because I'm working from home all the time. But in my day job, I'm a partner at an ad agency where I am uh, a senior creative director, you know, not creative director, a senior uh, art director. And um, I, uh, you know, I design every day, all day, you know, I, I you know, for the last 25 years, I do a lot of animation and logo design and and some illustration. I'm not. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna t tell you that I'm some like great artist that can sketch you perfectly. I can sketch you and, and people be like if they squint, yeah that could be that could be Shane, <laughs> you know. But um, I do know how to um, I do know how to uh, complete things. Like one of my great I I think I think a lot of people 
don't understand this about the artistic life. Um, though it said a lot is, uh, perfection is the enemy of creation. Uh, you have to be willing to sort of live with flaws and your, your own lack of skill to get things done. Anyway. Uh, so that being said, uh, I had this concept for a, uh, a novel and it would, and I, and at the time I figured out the concept for it, I was like these, this, you know, a bunch of line of cuts would be perfect to go with this, illustrate this book. Uh, and the fact that they're line of cuts means they're black and white, which means it wouldn't be that much more expensive, probably not any more expensive at all for them to be put, put in a book. So it wouldn't be like an outlay from the publisher. And, um, so, uh, I just started, you know, I wrote the first third of the book. I synopsized the rest of it. I wrote it fast. Like I wrote, wrote that first third in the book, like three weeks. Like I was, I was hauling ass. I don't know if you guys are, were aware of it while I was talking about it online, but yeah. I mean, I burned through it and then I, I've been sort of, I've been sort of really raring to get back to it, but, I, um, I wanted to get the line of cuts in order. And just today, my agent and I sort of finalized it and sent it out as a pitch for, for, um, for uh, a, a novel. So, you know, we owe uh, election seething hell, you know, a lot of the way um, book contracts work is that you like I sold, we sold um, election seething hell to Harper Collins and Harper Collins has the right of first refusal of my next book. Right. That's a horror novel. Um, uh, so like if I write another fantasy, another publisher has the right of first refusal on that. So we got to send it, that to them and i actually do have a plans on writing another fantasy but um uh so the book is called and i, I mean this gives it away uh, i talked about it in with that with the interview with sadie um hartman on the nightfire blog uh, but it's called a gentleman of carpathia oh nice which, which uh kind of tells you what it's about right there it's it's um it is set in the uh, period before Dracula, the, the the novel. It's set like in about 15 years before that, um, and it's kind of like if I was giving you the short pitch, it's kind of like the movie in Bruges meets Dracula. Interesting. Uh, uh, and, and you know, it's sort of like uh, one of my one of the things that I've learned over you know the past 11 books. Um, is that I am good one of, well, I'm not going to say good. I, I, I am confident enough in my ability to research that I write historical fiction pretty well. Um, I think, uh, I mean, some people might say, no, you don't, <laughs> but, um, uh, I think I do. So, uh, I'm going to, so I'm taking a crack at this. This is probably the most ambitious um historical fiction i mean if you look at uh that i've ever done i mean if you look at um election seething hell both of those stories were historical in the sense that one of them took place in the early 70s and one of them took place in 1938 uh this one is just a little bit more aggressive um because it is separated more uh by geography it takes place in hungary and romania obviously 
and it's in the 1800s. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, I'm stoked about it because it's, at its core, a pretty simple story about a boy. But it's, um, you know, it lets me do, it lets me illustrate it. It lets me do, I've been wanting to write, you know, a vampire novel. And it lets me do all the stuff I've ever always wanted to do with vampires. Yeah. That, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that that, uh, that sounds uh, really cool. And, you know, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I could come across as sounding ignorant on the topic, but what's kind of cool about it. And I don't know if maybe which one inspired, which is, you know, you're setting it kind of like in the 1800s. And I think this kind of art form was even earlier than that. Like it kind of makes me think of like almost like medieval sort of, but um, it's kind of cool that you're working those woodcuts into that. And I didn't know kind of, you know, what came first and also what kind of inspired you to tackle like that kind of historical setting. Well, I mean, so um, Dracula is like one of my favorite, favorite books. And, I, you know, but in movies and a lot of times, I, you know, he's been so I think of him a lot differently than you see in film. You know, I look, I love uh, Christopher Lee's Hammer version, I, you know. I even like the Gary Oldman's version, uh, but I don't think of him um, as those ways. Like you know, um, uh, you know, in, in my I guess the the thing like here's this sort of like when I was talk I talk about the ideal, the generative ideal of novels. The thing that I am sort of like interested in exploring is. Uh, in I don't know when's the last time you read um, uh, Dracula, but when we see Dracula, he is a man of power uh, in the sense that he's feared locally, but he's moving to England, right? He's he's pulling up stakes, and and he's an old man, like he's described as an old man with a long mustache. Like what? Like my question is, what put him in this state? You know. He has no servants. He has, you know, he has to do everything himself. He's like, you know, when when um, when Jonathan Harker comes from um, the town, uh, like it's literally Dracula being the footman for like he has no servants. And uh, and so my, you know, my this book is sort of like, how, well, how did he get there? Like, how, how what? What was the what were all the events that happened where like Dracula, this 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 immortal, you know, powerful figure is sort of like, you know, having to <laughs> have absolutely no servants and do all this sort of grunt work on the sly um, when, you know, he could have more, you know, I mean, at some point in his life, if you if you buy into the mythology, he was he was a. You know, he was the voivode of the Magyars. Um, uh, you know, he that which meant sort of like a warlord, a, a, a you know, a top-ranking soldier. Um, anyway, so that's what I, that's what I'm ex sort of exploring, and it's it's fun. I'm doing a lot of research in Hungarian and Romanian history and in uh, mythology, and um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of just uh, I, I'm I'm enjoying myself. 
Yeah, that yeah, sounds so, that sounds cool. Sorry, Shane, go ahead. No, that was I was just gonna say that could be a whole rabbit hole all of its all of its own, just the Hungarian and um Romanian history and the mythology in particular. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty deep. Um, you know, and there were multi. I mean, like everyone says Vlad, Vlad Tepe's and everything, but like there were there's like a whole line of uh, rulers of the Trans, Trans uh, Transylvanian in the uh, area in the Carpathians. There's a whole like series of Draculas you know, with that surname. So. Um, it's interesting, you know, or, or that sort of like almost clan, not, I'm not even clan name, I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the right term, but, um, you know, that family name is, uh, you know, there, I, there's like seven or eight rulers with that same name. And so it's, it's, it's very common. Uh, um, anyway, uh, so I, I'm doing a few things different while still trying to stay true. I'm not going to say true to Stoker um, because... I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason to, but you know, my, my agent was like, should we call this a prequel? And I was like, no, we shouldn't call it a prequel. It's just sort of a reimagining, um, of, you know, the time before, you know, who Dracula was before. It's not, you know, I, I mean, again, Dracula is in the public domain, but obviously there is a guy out there right now with the name Stoker trying to write books. I mean, he's not doing it on his own, but you know, trying to write books about Dracula, and I don't want to. I don't want to get in his way. Um, yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's just. But in the end, at this point, he's. You know, I don't know. He's never going to get. Uh, they're never going to get Dracula back in the private domain. So I mean, he's kind of like, um, in the same sense that Love Lovecraftian's mythos is now open source. Dracula is too. So I'm just playing, like like thousands of other writers have before. I'm playing with Dracula. Um, anyway, and I'm enjoying it and I'm trying to add a little bit of, um, you know, as, um, as an author, uh, most authors right now, other than the 1% are in search of an audience. We're all, we're all trying to get, uh, you know, uh, a little bit more of an audience for our work. And with these line of cuts, which I think, you know, as I've been going along through them, I'm getting better and better as I go. Uh, you know, I think this will add a little bit more, uh, you know, as they say in advertising, a little bit more to my value proposition. And that's a, that's a very, um, uh, mercenary way of stating it, but, uh, it, it, I don't mean it in that way in a mercenary sense. Well, I guess I do, but I've also really enjoyed doing them. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and anything that in- Pardon, you know, I hate the term, but anything that increases the value of your brand is a worthy endeavor in this business because, you know, it's not like you're getting filthy rich off of it otherwise, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to do things. You know, my my hope is, you know, just over the years, if I just keep writing, you know, good books that people enjoy that someday, you know, I might break out into a larger audience, you know, uh, and, and I still need to entertain myself while I do it. So, you know, it's a, not, not, you know, uh, not everyone can have the, you know, you know, like not, not like the overwhelming success of like Stephen King or, you know, or, 
uh, you know, we're all sort of, you know, just uh, fighting. Not, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying fighting. Uh, I'm we're all attempting to get a little bit more, um, you know, readership. That's all. Um, which is yeah, which is uh, what the game is all about. That's what the job is all about. If you don't have the readers, yeah. Um, I mean. I don't have a lot of readers. I still write, but I do have some, or I would probably just drink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, John, I just wanted to kind of circle back to murder ballads. I know the titular story, Murder Ballads, is a sequel kind of to your your first novel, Southern Gods, and I was just curious you know, what kind of inspired, what kind of inspired you to revisit that particular story? Uh, yeah. So when I was, um, I mean, it's pretty simple. One, it was sort of a continuation of what, what I was, I, I said earlier, like I was coming out of that depression from the failure of the incorruptible series that I put a lot of, put a lot of heart and soul into. I really am proud of that work. And it just, it was just too weird and a little bit off center for, for it to connect. Uh, so when I wrote, um, when I wrote the, the, the sea dreams into the sky and then followed it up with my heart struck sorrow, my heart struck sorrow had just a lot. I, you know, I did a deep dive into the research for that, uh, historically. And a lot of it, um, had legs in the sense that it, it um, it, it also affected, uh, I mean, it also dealt with the era that uh, murder ballads is set in. So I had all this research swimming in my brain, and um, it was like I, I had um, the idea that I've been playing with for a story. And also, uh, I, I was still sort of like picking at the scab of the Incorruptibles trying to see if I could still do this. And so by revisiting the characters and the setting of my very first novel, it was sort of an exercise in seeing how far have I come in the 12 years since I started writing Southern Gods. Um, and so how far, you know, like, like, you know, wh 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 where am I as an artist? You know, sometimes you have to go back and look at the same sort of subject matter when you're doing art, be it visual or dramatic or uh, musical after you've been away from it for a while and to see how far you've come. And that was that was sort of the exercise in it, uh, the exercise that I set before myself. And um, this this and I'll be honest, this uh, whole um, uh, collection just sort of fell in my lap. Um, it was done because uh, the, this publisher uh, wanted to wanted to acquire my backlist of uh, for audiobooks and that's it not not to print them just that you know because right now audiobooks are where people are making a lot of money audiobooks mm -hmm. are where it's at uh, so they wanted to buy this dark earth and my young adult series which is it, it's not horror but it has it's like kids with superpowers dealing with sort of sort of a you know uh, cosmic horror you know sort of uh, and so uh, I was like, great. You know, they came to my agent and my agent was like, John, they want to do this. There's no advance, but you know, at least we'll get royalties of what the, would they make? Right. You know? And I'm like, well, 
Um, it's not making me any money. Like, I mean, those rights aren't making me any money now. So hell yeah, you know, let them have it. Uh, and she was like, great. And then she came back like a week later and said, Hey, they also wanted to know if you wanted to do a collection of short stories. And, the, and if you do, do they just want one new thing, which could be a short story or like a novelette, like something really small. Um, and I was like, yeah, hell yeah. I got like, I went and I looked through my stories and, um, and I, I, you know, I pulled together the, the top nine and then I said, you know, I'll write this sequel to Southern Gods because, you know, I was right. I was hot. Right. I, you know, you don't you don't sort of stop rolling when you're when you're hot. I had just finished my heart. Start sorrow. And I was very super pleased with like how well it was. I mean, how well it came out and how um, people were receiving it. And uh, so I wrote this no- novella. Um, you know, it was about 30,000 words and I, I, I really am liking the length. I, while I'm writing this, this novel, I really am enjoying writing novellas cause they're like, you know, they're, they're just, uh, they have all the strengths in pace in pacing of like a short story with also all the sort of characterization and development of theme and mood and setting that a novel has. They're sort of like the best of both worlds. And, and, you know, and um, there is something also to be said for a reader who can sit down and finish, you know, a, per, you know, a book, you know, I mean, it, uh, even though it's, it's a very slim book in a sitting, um, it gives them a feeling of like, God, oh, it's raced through that, you know, um, when granted it was very short. But, you, you know, uh, readers like that. They, they like to be like, have it and be done with, you know, you know, get through it pretty quickly. Um, that's why you get the sort of like uh, the moniker, like a, a page turner when, um, you know, ultimately, yeah. uh, you know, I, you know, if, if, if I had my druthers in, in writing a book, I would I would like people to be like wanting to slow their reading down so that they, you know, they love this book so much they're trying to prolong it. Um, but, um, you know, so page turning is like, ah, I want to get done with this motherfucker, but, uh, (laughs) you know, um, but, uh, you know, but, but it's like, it's also, I mean, I know that they mean it in the sense that like, there is an, there is an inertia, there is a momentum to it that is undeniable. Right. Uh, Anyway. So, um, I mean, I understand the meaning of it, but you know. And then there's also the, you know, as readers, we also have this tendency to, already be anxious for the next book behind that one so it's kind yeah. of like this is yeah. fucking great i can tear through this and move into this other book that i really want to read too you know and yeah but yeah but i and like a what, book that makes me want to just sit and slow down too I'll, and now i'll stop interrupting rich <laughs> no no you're good i was gonna say yeah he was speaking my language with that one because like i'm one of those people that is kind of like that like I love kind of like those huge door stoppers, you know, especially like ones that are executed like really well, because you can kind of just lose yourself in it almost and you get to enjoy it for kind of a long period. But one thing that I I thought was interesting was kind of how you mentioned, you know, how this collection came together, you know, it kind of started with the audio things and it kind of fell in your lap where, they asked you to do a collection, which I thought was interesting because every once in a while you'll kind of see it pop up, you know, online, kind of like in the 
Facebook, Twitterverse, or what have you, about how you know it might be a little bit harder to do collections or pitch a collection. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is harder because it's just I don't think they sell. Though honestly, I enjoy collections usually a lot more than novels because I, I you know, my, it is my opinion uh, that the short story is for, sort of like the highest form of what we do, um, and I you know, like. Uh, and actually, as I say in the in the um, in the introduction, I, like I didn't get anyone else to write the introduction. I wrote my own introduction uh, for uh, Murder Ballads just because I, I I don't know. It was like, hey, do you want someone to introduce introduce it? And I was like, yeah, but I don't know who to ask, and it's a big favor, so I'll just introduce it. And uh, you know, I don't really. Con- I mean, look. I, I've been published in well, and I work hard when I write something. And I think I have a, a you know a baseline modicum of skill, but I think really my strengths lie in novels, and I think that's fine. I've written some good stories, but but you know the type of writers that I really really admire, um, like Kelly Link and uh, Nathan Ballingrude and. Paul Tremblay and, um, you know, uh, Michael Weehunt. And, like, these are these people who are just outrageously good short story writers. Mm. And I'm I'm just, like, I don't don't know if I'm there. I mean, granted, I get, you know, I'm published. Hell, I've been published in Playboy. So, like, that's a big feather in my cap, you know. And and I'm proud of that work. I I just realize it's okay to be, like, you know, I know what my strengths are. And maybe this isn't my strength, but... I still am going to put it out there. I mean, I lucked out on, on um, this sort of falling in my lap. I needed a book to come out this year, honestly, because I, you know, um, I'm not as fast of a writer as I was in the beginning of my career. Um, probably because I, you know, it's weird. Okay, it's it's weird. Like I, this year, I wrote a screenplay, the first one I've written, and I really enjoyed the the. Um, the process of it. I co-wrote it with an awesome guy named Jason Murphy. He's like a, a YouTube star, but um, he's also a really good writer and just a fucking brilliant, wonderful dude. Uh, and we, and we wrote it together and we were just jazzed about it. And, but the weird thing is like, I'm at a point in my writing career that when it comes to books, I mean, there's what I write in fiction. There's a 95% chance it will see print. I mean, granted, there, there's always a small chance that I just totally missed the boat and I totally shut the bed and this sucks. The, this this thing I wrote, this fucking is, you know, a dog's breakfast or whatever the British say. Um, but um, uh, but more than likely, I, I, it'll get published. And I'm, I'm not saying it'll be published well from like some sort of, you know, fancy place. I mean, I could probably get it published from small press. I, I mean... Right now, it is not the hardest time. It, it, okay, how do I say this? Right now, it's the easiest time in the history of the written word to be published, and probably one of the hardest times to make money at. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and those things are related. Anyway, but with uh, the screenplay, it's weird. It was it was interesting writing something with where those. Uh, those percentages are flipped. There is really a 90, probably 99% chance this will never, ever get made. And there's just a 1% chance that, you know, 
you know, it will, it will, or, or there's a 99% chance it'll get bought or, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, not even get made, like, like just get like, me, get money for it. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like options almost. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, I don't know where I was going with, 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 uh, Oh, wait. Oh, the, um, the collection. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I was very lucky that it fell in my lap. Uh, but you know, I I don't consider myself to be some uh, amazing short story writer. I don't write enough of them. Uh, I just don't. Uh, like if I'm gonna, my, like the ideas I have for stories tend to grow into larger projects, like a novella now, uh, and a uh, and most of the short story ideas I have now, I'm sort of like earmarking for um, for maybe screenplays. So. Anyway, um, so in the intro, I say this is probably going to be the this is more than likely going to be the only sh- collection of short stories I ever release. So it's it's very cool to have like my favorite uh, artist cover. Uh, that's Jeffrey Allen Love. It's, you know, um, yeah. And I'm proud. I'm, I'm very proud of the stories. Some of them are from early in my career and I would change them if I could. But you know what? They are what they are. Uh, the ones that are it, from later in my career, I am more satisfied with uh, and like. Like, I probably my favorite story in the whole thing. Uh, I don't consider uh, murder ballads to be p- part of this because it's it's like a larger work. But uh, my favorite story is probably uh, Children of Yig, which is a va- uh, not a vampire. It is a Viking story, which I just you know again I love doing like historical research and then writing something that's like fun and adventurous and. You know, and takes me sort of out of, uh, and and also reminds people that I'm not just a Southern writer. Everyone sort of like likes to hang that sort of label on me, and I just you know, hey, I can write some Vikings. I can write some you know Hungarian geopolitical shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting when you talk about styles and what kind of kind of what people might perceive what you can and can't do because it's like rich said uh, a while back i'm not really familiar yet um what how would you describe him and it's like uh let's see uh southern gothic cosmic something <laughs> you know? yeah. i mean so yeah i can i mean which is just to say that yeah you can you're a writer you'll you can write what you put your mind to yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I think I can, but there's always times when you hit that wall where you're like, no, I can't. I'm not, I can't, I'm not doing that one very well. I, ha- <laughs> yeah. I have I have abandoned a novel. Uh, so I have 60,000 words on an abandoned novel recently that just happened recently that um, this just wasn't working, which is the first time I've ever done that. Uh, I might return to it just because I'm stubborn. But um, yeah. Yeah, that's always scary to me. Like, uh, I think it was Mallerman told us he abandoned a, an entire novel and also deleted it. And it's like, oh man, that might just. I, mm-hmm. I think I'd just, uh, you know, spend the rest of my life brooding over that decision. <laughs> well, I, I don't know him personally. Um, I, I've only had Twitter uh, exchanges with him. But, you know, he is, I mean, from what I can tell, he is prolific. Uh, I mean, he's writing a lot. 
a lot more. I mean, he 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 writes a lot more than I do, um, apparently. And you know, he, he's he's you know uh, getting into that one percent. You know, he him and Paul Tremblay. You know, they're getting into be like they're the inheritors of like. Um, um, they're not the inheritor. Joe Hill is the inheritor, but they're getting into that that sort of Stephen King territory, which yep, is amazing, um, and and well deserved, you know, very well deserved. Um, but the rest of us, you know, we'll just fight over the table scraps and see what we can do, <laughs> and keep making the art that that we make, you know. Yeah. Um, you do you do it damn well, so you know you don't have an issue there, and you do have a following. We're just not getting rich at it at, in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Not yet. I mean, you know, a lot of it goes with, I, I mean, I, I will say this. I like, I think, um, uh, I think that right now, if you, the only way you're really going to make money uh, at uh, writing is, is once you get something in film or television. Yeah. That's that that's that's when that's when it starts changing for writers uh and right now it's the golden age of horror and it's the golden age of television so i mean those 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 things are are, are achievable for all of us um it's just a matter of you know getting lucky i mean you know i, I say getting lucky it's like we work we strive at our craft we put in the hours we do the best we can because you know, you meet um, opportunity with preparation, right? And um, so, I mean, people get lucky because they have done the work. And so, uh, it, you know, a lot of times when people say, oh, they just got lucky, like it's a dismissive thing, and, and that's not true. Like, like you could say that about Josh Mallerman, but it's not true. He nah. did the work. He did the work. I mean, he was putting in the time, he's putting in the hours, he was, you know, publishing, like, <laughs> you know, it, he just met that, that luck with preparation. Yeah. And, and, uh, so. I agree. Even it's kind of like, you know, there, there may be such a thing as raw talent, but hard work is worth a lot more than that talent will ever be. <laughs> I agree. Totally. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm blowing my nose. No uh, yes. Yes, I, I totally agree. It's um, I think I mean it's been you know it's been said a lot online that um, uh, that talent is like there's a million talented people, but you know hard work will always trump talent. Yep, um, I agree, and um, I don't want to I don't want to run out of time and miss this topic. I really want to talk to this one top talk to you about this topic. Um, we were talking about it uh, a little bit on in DM the other night uh, about uh, shared passion for foreign films. Yeah. Um, and that's a passion. I mean, mine, Rich's, our other co-host who couldn't make it tonight, Laurel. Yeah. Um, watches a lot of foreign films, you know, so we're, it's kind of a, it's kind of a collective passion of, of the four of us anyway. Um, and I, I don't know. I just wanted to, just wanted to talk about it. Yeah, I, I love foreign films. I really love foreign horror films. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, and I will, I will say this. I, I really love non-English 
foreign horror films. Uh, yep. And I think I think right now there uh, those films are the ones that are really interesting and really doing something new. I think most English speaking horror films are um, emulative of the Hollywood yeah. uh, machinery or, you know, admired in it. And I just don't think that I don't think the the Hollywood studio formula is putting out good movies like actually in, in preparation, because we did talk about this. I, I wrote down all of the movie, the recent movies I, I've watched. And they're pretty much the, the I mean, uh, horror movies, and they're really dominated by uh, foreign language horror like Satan Slays, which is awesome. Yes, it is. Uh, um, Blood Machines, which is English, but it's a French film, and it's very, very minimally minimal dialogue. I mean, it it, it doesn't even need the dialogue it has, honestly. Metamorphosis, you know, uh, which is Korean. Um, Lake of Death, which is Norwegian. Uh, it, that movie sucks. Don't watch it. Um, Tigers are not afraid. Mexican, dark, German. Marianne, French, Yummy, which is, I think, Ukrainian, uh, Kingdom, Train to Busan, Rampant. All three of those are, are, are fucking um, Korean. Uh, let's see, what else? I mean, Juon, The Beginnings, that sucked on Netflix, uh, but that was Korean. Ter Terrified, which was uh, um, uh, Argentinian. Uh, the Deadlands, which is uh, it is English speaking, but it is Maori, right. so it's New, New Zealand, so that gets a pass for me. Uh, the Headhunter, which is uh, which is more fantasy, but it, it works as horror, and there's just no uh, no dialogue in it, pretty much. I mean, I think there is some English spoken in it, um, but yeah, that was made for thirty thousand dollars. Anyway, Kuran on Netflix, which is Spanish. Um, uh, the Field Guide to Evil, which is like multinational. Anyway, those are the, like the ones I've, I've uh, I have watched, um, and they're all interesting in their own way. Uh, and I think the reason why they're interesting is because of two real big factors. Uh, one. When some when someone's not speaking your language, <laughs> I, well, a few a few reasons. When someone's not speaking your language, uh, it, it is sort of a cipher to you, and it, and it poses a mystery, right? Yeah. Like like the language is a barrier uh, that that you have to sort of puzzle out, and you're puzzling out sort of the sound of the language and you're also puzzling out the tonality of the deliverer of the dialogue. And, and, and by the time you're like a half halfway through the movie, you're starting to sort of pick up on like inflections and, and emotion. And, and, and it takes a little bit and you have to work a little bit to get into it. So by work, by having to work to get into it, you are actually more invested in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Um, because you have some sweat equity in, in in it. I think the other thing is it, it is that it um, like most of these foreign horror movies don't 
do the predictable Hollywood thing. Like the people who are making these. So here's the way Hollywood does it. Like they've, they've had a successful movie. They analyze this. They get a, a team of accountants and some focus fucking groups and they analyze it. And it's like, okay. And then they look at their sort of, uh, their pool of screenplays and they try to pick the screenplays that most fit their analysis of a successful film. Like, uh, female-driven sci-fi, smart sci-fi is hot right now. And the, the reason they, the way they came up with that is because they've done a fucking financial analysis. But these people in fucking Korea aren't, I, I mean, they may be, I could be totally off base, but I don't think they are. I, I don't think they're like looking at, um, I, I think they're looking at film in, in a more traditional manner, like, hey, I produced this, this, like if you were a fucking cobbler, like, hey, this style of shoe sells better than this style of shoe. Okay, well, let's make more of this type of shoe instead of like, you know what I'm saying? Like the sort of drill down into the into the um, into the uh, this sort of drill down to the exact sort of specifics of what works for focus groups and what like is the most profitable part. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, um, so th- I think in a lot of ways that these foreign films, foreign language horror films don't adhere in a lot of ways to the sort of Hollywood studio formula, the three act structure. And, and so there's this, there's this element of otherness to them and it offers something to me, which is new. Uh, and, and so like what, one of the greatest things about fiction to me, stories to me, it, is that you are pulling aside a veil and exposing a secret world or life. And and that is really powerful. And so these, um, these movies do, do that better for me. Um, and that was a lot of, I mean, that was a very long road to a, to a, a very small house, but, um, uh, that's sort of my take on the foreign films. Like, and and honestly, I just don't. I very rarely get that sort of. Uh, uh, or the Jones for me is not really satisfied with American films or English speaking films that do that. I will tell you what I think American and English speaking films are doing well be, because we are in some ways. Uh, we have trod a lot of the same ground that these these sort of uh, foreign filmmakers are, are are just sort of experiencing now. Is we're good at the sort of comedy horror, the the sort of meta horror stuff because we've gotten to the point in the the the, um, the evolution of horror where we are real, you know. It's hard to present like like Cabin in the Woods did it great. It's hard to present a Cabin in the Woods without you saying yes, that is Cabin in the Woods. Like so, so comedy horror does this well. We do comedy horror like uh, Satanic Panic was a fun one, you know, recently. Yeah. Like uh, uh, you know, because they're doing, you know, it, it's um, it's winking at the audience. Uh, like the Babysitter was good because it was winking at the audience about the sort of tropes of horror. So, I mean, Americans are, like, ha- however many times you see um, something, uh, like, oh, in Lake of Death, which is that Norwegian film, they kept referencing American horror movies in it, and they were trying to sort of do that, but I just don't think they were, 
I don't think they had done enough work. <laughs> like to start doing that, you need the years of of doing the horror movies. You know, you have to do all the bad stuff to get to that, and they they haven't done that. They haven't put in the dues to to start winking at the at the past horror movies. Uh, but that could just be me uh, being silly. But um, yeah. So um, uh, yeah, you know, that's good. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I was I was just going to disagree with you on something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nah. Not really. I just we I, I actually enjoyed it for the very reasons that you didn't enjoy it, which I which find one? interesting. Lake of Death. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I found the intent the intentional nods to be pretty entertaining. I, I agree with you that they probably didn't they didn't have the depth that they could have had to be really really effective, but. Yeah, just a. I think because I'm so fucking old, it was just a nostalgic thing for me. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, it wasn't the nods in, in it that, that bothered me. Like the way the reason I said that is a bad movie. I mean, it, just to drill down into that movie, the ending was the like, like that was speaking of Long Road to a Small House. That was the uh, yeah. that was the the thing that killed it for me. And I'm gonna say that Christopher Golden agreed with me immediately when I said that. But um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I watched recently. I won um, a, uh, I won a pass to see this movie, Blood Vessel. Have you heard of this movie? Uh, it sounds familiar. I know I haven't yeah. seen it. Well, I've it's a great it. title. It is Nazi vampires on a boat, right? Yeah, I think I've heard of it. Yeah. Uh, so it's about like these people, and like I said, it's set in World War Two. And these people, it's a news, it's a Australian movie. And these, uh, you know, at, at the time, German U-boats were torpedoing um, uh, passenger ships and, uh, you know, ships that usually would be left off, um, you know, would be off limits for wartime. And, you know, U-boat c- commanders were, uh, weren't not Nazis. They were honorable, mostly I mean, but obviously they were fighting for Germany. They weren't that honorable. But for the most part, uh, they, they held themselves to a higher standard than a lot of the, you know, on-land generals. It's from what I understand. Uh, but at this point in the war, it was like, you guys got to, you know, you guys got to turn shit around because we were fucking getting our asses handed to us. And uh, so they started, like, um, sinking passenger ships. So it starts with... Uh, a bunch of uh, British American um, people in a in a, um, a life raft uh, and or, who are on the verge of death, uh, seeing this German ship, and of course they get on the ship somehow, and um, and they think they're saved, but then there's vampires on it, like you know, right? And it it does like. I, it was an enjoyable time because one, uh, they did a really good job with the production from a small budget, and the monster design was dope. Like practical monster design was awesome. But story wise, it just did like it, it did ex- like once you once you say Nazi vampires on a boat, it does exactly what you think Nazi vampires on a boat <laughs> do. <laughs> You know that kind. I haven't. I haven't seen that. I think I vaguely heard of that, 
But it kind of almost reminds me of that movie, at least the premise. Like, you, it sounds kind of ridiculous, and you think it's going to be, like, maybe not enjoyable. But it kind of makes me think of, like, the Dead Snow series. I don't know if you've seen either of those. I have watched the first one of those, and, I, you know, honestly... It didn't do a lot for me, but I under, I can understand why people enjoy it. I mean, I understand why people enjoy that, you know, enjoy those things. It just, it, at this point, I'm just so jaded. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. you got to come correct with, like, for me, you got to bring something new to the table, I guess. Or, or, or like foreign films do, like something, like, almost seemingly impenetrable that, that you know, the veil is sort of parted. Um so Blood Vessel was, like, I didn't want to slag it online because a lot of people worked on it, and it's, like, you, you know, it's real easy. Like, I know how it feels when someone just, just sort of out of line just dismisses my work. and Like, re, you know, read the first 30 pages, did not finish, fuck this guy, this is the, sh you know, shit, or whatever. And it's, like, okay, I'm just really one person. But, you know, all the publisher, you know, worked, people at the publisher worked on it, you know, uh, like I would never do that to another author, right? Because I know, like, even if even if I do think books are shitty, and I do think a lot of books are shitty, um, like I would not say it publicly because you know they're struggling just like me, and it might work for uh, some other audience member. So I'm, I'm I would never do that to someone, and and so I was hesitant about saying anything bad about Blood Vessel online because it's easily. Like for someone, I, I'll, I'll slag it a little bit in, a, in this podcast because it's going to take people f 50 minutes to get to this point. Y you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's, it, it's, it's, it's buried real deep in this podcast, but um, you know, I, I wasn't going to tweet about it because you know, a lot of people worked on it and I don't want to shit on their dreams. And, and, you know, it had some, gr some good shit going for it. And I think a lot of people will enjoy it. It just story wise, it, this wasn't great. Um, but it, it was a lot better than Lake of Death. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I did not like Lake Lake of Death. But, uh, <laughs> I'm sensing that trend. <laughs> yeah. uh, but kind of like to circle back to like a more general theme, you know, I think kind of the cool thing about foreign horror films, too, is that you know, you get to kind of learn a little bit about the culture of, you know, the filmmakers and, you know, where they're from and kind of what informs, because if you kind of watch some of these movies, you can kind of see that like their interpretations of horror and what's scary is different than, you know, what appeals to a widespread American audience. And sometimes I feel like watching some of these like you get some really cool approaches that you wouldn't otherwise see or you would get like some cool subject matter that you wouldn't otherwise see. Like, you know, maybe it's a film kind of about, you know, like mythology from their culture. And I feel like especially in the age of reboots, it's kind of, you know, refreshing to see some of that stuff. Well, definitely. I mean, the whole reboot comes from what we were just we were talking about. Where, where it's like they've done a, a profit loss analysis of previous uh -huh. movies, and and that's why we, we we live in that age. But like exactly what you to what you were saying, the de the Deadlands like on Shutter that that series is like uh, it's great mythology. I mean, it's it's 
it is vibrant mythology that I didn't know of. So watching it, it was like, I'm, it's something I'm learning about it, but, but I mean, like it's Maori culture and it's fascinating. And it's like, you know, like in that, like a lot of fantasy authors could take notes from that to see how well it's done. Uh, you know, so yeah. I know most of these are from shutter though. Uh, some of yeah. these are from, some of these are from Hulu and Netflix, but um, yeah. Uh, I think, it offers, uh, I think it offers something new. I'll tell you, like I did like a lot of people don't like Midsummer, um, and, and I didn't really like it when I last saw it. But I did appreciate how different it felt. Like it's an American movie that felt like a foreign film. I also like, I, I also really liked Hereditary. I really liked Hereditary. But again, it came. It, it approached horror, and I think sometimes the best, like not the best, but but really good modern examples of horror are from people who possibly don't have the horror lexicon that that maybe we have. So their ability to look at it uh, and offer new things is because they don't have this preponderance of the history of it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, because I know that, uh, I, what's the guy's name? Avi Aster. Like that guy, um, uh, that guy, like it was really originally a drama. Like, and that was like, uh, uh, ordinary people. And then he put the, the, the supernatural in there at sort of like some midpoint in the writing. Right. Um, and so he came at it from an outsider's point of view, which I think, is sort of another thing that is a draw to the foreign films. Um, anyway, I, I really liked that movie. I had some problems with Midsummer, but um, but I still, in retrospect, now I, I uh, uh, yeah, I, I think about it. And I'm like, yeah, it is a good movie because it is. It is. I mean, it might not have been that great experience for me, but like, I start thinking about like visually and like all the different things it tried to do. Even if it didn't really work 100% for me, it's really like a pretty interesting achievement. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, but like for me, the the uh, horror movies I've seen recently that are English that I've enjoyed uh, are like th- there are very few. I'd say uh, Wounds on Hulu, which is yeah. a, an adaptation of Nathan Ballinger. Yeah. Um, uh, that are like that aren't comedy horror. Right. Um, I like the endless. I like those two dudes. Uh, who, uh, who Benson and Moorhead. Yeah. That yeah. Was. Um, I, I like the invitation. Um, I thought that was a really good uh, thing. I liked uh, what was what was the other? Um, it was a series. Um, I'm blanking. But like, they're a lot fewer and further between. Like, they're just not. You know, I just I'm not I'm not I'm not jiving with American or uh, English speaking horror. I don't for the most part. I'm I'm in the same boat there. Um, there's some like you say, it, it has to push the envelope really hard for me to yeah. really, you know, um, whereas with foreign film, it's it's rarer it's for me to find a film that I don't at least enjoy in some capacity. No, but I did see that you liked, uh, Shane, you did like that movie Bliss, didn't you? 
Um, oh, yeah. The Joe yeah. Baker. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did like that one. Yeah. I I hated that movie with... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, I, 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 but again, I, 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 was, I was not going to say anything bad online about it because... No. Those people work freaking hard on that, and it's more than just you know, you, you know. Uh, um, but again, it would take up people fucking digging a long, long way in uh, uh, into this podcast. But also, like at this point, you're praising it, and I'm like, ah, it's, it's terrible. People will be like, I want to go look at this movie. <laughs> like, I'm gonna go check it out, and it probably make them make them more money. But it, yeah. I just, but uh, yeah, but I like I I watch a lot of uh, Shutter stuff, so Shutter's a great service. No, it's a great uh, another. Just on a side note, and I know we got to wrap up at some point, but um, another service that has a really really good horror selection is Hulu. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, I would have never pegged that for them, especially given their history. Yeah, but they're owned by Disney, so um, they and also like I'm I'm keeping it one because you get some television shows you wouldn't normally get. Um, uh, but also they've got another series, uh, wounds is on there, but th- they have Monsterland, which is based off of Nathan Ballingrude's, um, uh, North American Lake monsters, uh, which is one of the best collections of short fiction, horror short fiction ever written. I agree. And, and uh, yeah, um, I, I'm really sort of, uh, fluffing uh, nathan today and i you know i'm not trying to um it's just uh well nathan appreciates a good fluffing every now and then <laughs> but uh, yeah so i'll you be know, keeping that for a while uh, he, he deserves it though yeah Alan. oh definitely he really deserves it you know um so do you uh, uh i'm sitting here trying to think of a book i haven't read by you the only thing i can think of really is uh murder ballads the one that uh is out right now brand new and i know from my experience with you everybody should be reading well thank you i appreciate that um do you have anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up i mean something that you want to announce that we didn't touch i want to make sure we cover everything for you I don't have anything to announce. I'm just like, I'll find out in a little bit if this book sells and I'll trumpet it to the world. Um, I'm going to resume doing art for it. And hopefully, uh, I mean, I have stuff that I wish I could talk about, but I can't talk about it if that says anything. Right, right. Um, I understand that totally. And that's the one thing I'm a fairly new to publishing writer and that drives me out of my fucking mind like hey dude this is really cool news you want to share this with anyone everyone don't talk about it yeah. <laughs> <I'm> like, oh. <laughs> i mean yeah i'm just like i've signed papers i uh, i have you know i'm waiting on the money um but like i, I don't i there is possible i'll never get to talk about this thing but it's possible i will anyway so uh hopefully it'll happen but it probably won't um yeah well uh here's fingers crossed for it any john horner jacobs project is something i'd like to see happen thanks um, man. as long as it doesn't involve nudity or probably films <laughs> um 
I'm kidding about the last part. I'm wait, not kidding about wait, the nudity. like, like, like nudity. Like, you're you're not talking about my nudity, right? You're talking about like. Well, yeah, I re- I specifically wouldn't like it to involve your nudity. Uh, okay. I mean, because we could work something out, you know, yeah. if you needed to. Well, uh, but what's the fee for that? I uh, I don't know. We'll have to. Yeah. We can we can talk off off camera. <laughs> Yeah, we can discuss it, just not over alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> Hell, man, I haven't had a drink in months, man. Uh, I wish I could say the same, man. I'm a pandemic alcoholic. I was, and then I, uh, for the first two and a half weeks, and then I was like, dude, I'm gonna kill myself. I gotta stop, and I haven't. Uh, so like, I, I quit in April. Uh, I was like, man, I'm just, I, I will, I will start drinking when this is all over. Yeah, yeah, when you can, when it doesn't feel like something you need to do instead of want to do. <laughs> no, I'm trying to get to get healthy. I'm trying to get as healthy as I fucking can. Uh, yeah, it's, and it's a good idea. That's, um, I've spent the last probably, well, since 2009 working on getting healthier and healthier because I'm getting old and things start breaking. Yeah. Um, so you want to be as strong as you can to hold yourself up. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no shit. Uh, man, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's 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 hard. I mean, I'm I'm I turned fifty this year, and you know, it's like I eat one meal a day now. I don't know. I don't know if you know how hard that is eating one meal a day. Like, and I eat dinner, and the only thing I have is water and coffee uh, with stevia, right? And I don't have bread, and I like I'm totally keto, and I don't fucking drink at all. And I'm still like, like at this age, it's hard to dr- like keep weight off. <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. Um, and I'm I'm just the opposite. I I I eat one meal a day, but it's hard because I don't feel like it most of the time, you know. So I have to force myself. But uh, when I am uh, going through my phases where I'm stuffing my face, I still don't put on any weight. I'm just my met hey, hey, can I say something then? Yeah. Fuck you, man. <laughs> That's generally what I get. Man, you can go fuck yourself with that skinny shit. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, uh, I love you, John. I uh, know, man. I, I love you too. I'm just, man. That makes me jealous. Uh, uh, it's yeah. it's a bitch though, man. When you. Because I a couple times in my life had my doctor admonish me to put weight back on, and then it's like I'm sitting there making myself sick trying to eat more than I, I have capacity for. You know, <laughs> but I know. Shut up! I'll shut the fuck up about that. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's fucked up because like uh, my mom weighs 88 fucking pounds. My dad is six four and weighs like 280. Like, uh, you know, I, there are genes in me that are skinny. They're just uh, not, not, they're just recessive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand that. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, I do have to wrap up now because okay, I have to yeah. cook. Um, but I could talk all night long. That's uh, always my problem. Um, so what we'll do is uh, we'll have you back on 
much, much closer to your re release of uh, the Dracula book because I really want to talk about that. Okay, well, that could be in 2022, so awesome. Uh, whenever it is, we'll have, we'll be happy to have you back. We'll be happy to have you come back as a guest host sometime too, if you want to. I would love to. I would love. You know what? I would love to. Any anytime you need me to do anything for you, other than the nudity stuff, I will do it. Awesome. awesome. And we'll talk about that nudity thing later. But all right, real, so. all real right, quick, John. Uh, real ahead, quick, Rich. John. I just want to say, please give Dead Snow to a chance. <laughs> okay, it's better okay. than the first. It's superior, I'll give it that, yeah. Okay, all right, I will. But, but uh, yeah, um, yeah thank thanks you for, for being out. here. Yep. We'll, right. uh, uh, looking forward to having you back as soon as possible. John, have a great night. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Rich. Yep, bye. Right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs>